Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm Liz Moody, and I am the host of the Healthier Together podcast. I'm a healthy cookbook author. My newest cookbook is also called Healthier Together, and that is coming out in April, and I actually just turned in the manuscript for it, the final, final, final one. If you don't know, um, making a cookbook is an incredibly long process. It takes two years on average, um, and you go through a lot of different revisions and drafts and all of that, which is why the recipes in a cookbook tend to be better than the ones that you might just find online because they've been really tested and really looked at and all of that. So my final, final, final round was turned in just this past Tuesday, which was so, so exciting. I'm medium. I'm I'm excited, but I'm also freaking out a little bit because I can't change anything anymore. And I'm a perfectionist. I'm always like, oh, can I change this thing or this thing or this thing? Um, and I can't anymore. It's all out of my hands. So I'm trying to uh, meditate and be calm and do all of that stuff. Um, so that's one of the reasons the podcast has not been up in the last couple of weeks, but I'm hoping to get back on a regular posting schedule and I have some amazing, amazing guests lined up for you guys. The first of which is who I am talking to today. It's Ali Mafucci. She is the founder of Inspiralized, which is got it so many things. She has Um, First of all, her super, super, super successful website, which is inspiralize.com. And she talks about um, her recipes, but also she has a ton of interesting stuff about her life. She talks about her beautiful baby, Luca, who is truly the cutest baby that I've ever seen in my entire life. She talks about her trips and her travels. She also has a product. She has a spiralizer, which she basically created when she was writing her book or maybe before that, but she couldn't find a spiralizer on the market that had all of the problems solved with it. So she decided to invent one on her own. And I can attest to the fact that I actually bought one. Allie didn't give it to me. Um, But I bought one and I didn't want to buy one for a while because it was a little bit more expensive than the like really cheap spiralizer that you could buy on Amazon. And so I bought the cheap one first. And then I was like, ugh, I hate spiralizing. This sucks. Like it's so hard and messy and whatever. And then finally I caved and I bought Allie's and it made the whole thing so much easier and nicer. And I was like, all right, you you win. You got it right. Um, so she has that. And then she's also written three uh, cookbooks, uh, two that focus mostly on spiralizing. And then her most recent one, which came out in May, and we talk about a little bit in this episode called Inspiralized and Beyond, which is kind of using vegetables to replace any number of different grains in your life. So rather than just replacing pasta, like you might when you spiralize, although Ali's recipes are super creative and like go way beyond that. um, She also replaces rices and pizza crusts and God, she's like a meatball sub in there. She has so much stuff. It's such a, such a good book. It's also really like easy. Like it's the the type of recipes that you would actually make on a day-to-day basis. Um, which I love because it's it's the kind of cookbook that you just like reach for again and again and again. So that's called Inspiralized and Beyond, and that's out now. Personally, I've known Allie for a few years now. Uh, she and I have the same editor and the same publishing house. Um, so I got to know her, I think at a party of some sort, and she is just truly like 
the coolest human. We were at this party and everybody was so, so, so excited to meet her because she's Ali Mafucci. She's written New York Times bestselling cookbooks. Um, and she and I was this completely unknown person. Like nobody knew who I was. Nobody gave a crap who I was. And she was so gracious and so lovely. And all these people would come up and be like, oh my God, Ali, I love you. And she'd be like, oh, have you met my friend Liz? She has a really great popsicle cookbook coming out soon. And I was like, oh my God. But she was just so so gracious and lovely and kind. And she's that in addition to being an amazing mom and an amazing partner and an amazing entrepreneur, like badass business lady. And I kind of don't understand how she does it all and how she does it all with such a smile and, and a sense of peace and calm and knowing like she has this energy of really knowing that what she's doing is the right thing for her for her family, for her needs in the world. And I think that confidence in you, like she embodies the like you do you and you feel good about it. And I think I spent a lot of this episode trying to dig into that and figure out how she got to be that way. And there's some crazy stuff behind it, honestly. So we talk about a ton of things in this episode. We talk about her Bell's Palsy, which if you follow Ali on Instagram, if you don't, you should. Um, But she's Ali Mafuchi, and then she is also um, inspiralized. And she experienced Bell's Palsy recently, which basically means that half of her face was completely paralyzed. Uh, It was insane. And so we go into that. We talk about vanity. We talk about fear. We talk about just all the things of this um, illness coming on out of nowhere and trusting your body versus what doctors are saying and getting into all of that. We talk about mental illness. Her brother is bipolar. And we talk about how that sort of affected her life and her family's life. Um, We also talk about her sort of daily routines, like how she views working out. She lost 30 pounds at one point and... I think it's interesting how she views food and how she views working out and the function of both of those things in her life. So we really get into a lot of that stuff. And then, and then you guys, she tells me the most insane story that I think I have heard on this podcast or in real life. Um, she talks about a kidnapping that happened in her family to her mother. And it is something that has it is accounted for a lot of the way that she views the world today. And it is bananas. It is a crazy, crazy, crazy story. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. And then please come and talk to me about it and digest it with me on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody because I think I'm still reeling from and I'm just like, how did this, how is this not a movie truly? Um, But I'm also trying to kind of see what I can learn from what Ali learned about it because it's truly shaped the role of gratitude in her life, how she interacts with the people that she loves. And I think it's just such an admirable way to take this very scary life experience and use it as a a method of growth, which Allie is just incredible at. If you can't tell, I'm so, so in awe of this woman. And I was so, so excited to sit down with her in her apartment and um, record this podcast. As always, I do a little giveaway for every episode. So this episode, I'm going to give away a pair of Allie's favorite thing that she's purchased that's made her life healthier and happier recently, which is a pair of Athleta leggings. They're high-waisted. They're flattering on everybody. 
Um, and they're really, really lovely. So I'm going to give away a pair of those. And then I'm also going to give away a copy of Allie's new cookbook, which is Inspiralized and Beyond. So come and hang out with me on Instagram at Liz Moody and look for a photo of something. I don't know what I'm going to use yet. Maybe something Spiralized. Maybe it'll be Allie, something like that. But the giveaway will be on that photo. So check that out for sure. Um, and enjoy this episode. I hope you guys love it. All right, Allie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I know you're very busy with your baby and your business and your your book, which just, when did your book come out? Um, May 1st. May yeah. 1st. Yeah. How's that going? It's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of people that this is their favorite and I think it's because it's a different type of cooking. It's not just spiralized. Mm, it's, I think it's the most beautiful book that Thank you've you. ever released and the recipes are so good. There was ones in there that I was like, why didn't I think of <laughs> They're just genius. Even I'm looking at the cover. Those, is that the, the pizza, the bruschetta zucchini? No, those, that is... The meatball subs. So those are actually, oh, yeah. it's completely vegetarian. It's it's like, um, you know, zucchini boats. And I took the flesh of the zucchini and made them into meatballs. So the whole thing is made of zucchini. That's like literally <laughs> genius. I feel like you're the person that like when you're like sitting there with a vegetable and you don't know what to do with it, I should like text you and be like, Allie, I have this strange vegetable. Like what should I do with it? Yeah, you know, I don't like wasting food anymore. I think spiralizing taught me mm. to use like the entire vegetable. What do you do with the little end nubbin that happens when you spiralize? <laughs> I get that question a lot. I have a blog post on it actually, but I do different things. I usually chop it up and now I just like roast it for my son. But um, I used to put it in like containers and save them for frittatas on the weekends. Some people give like them- Like a nubbin frittata? Exactly. Or just like chopped veggies. I'll like chop the little nubbin. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just leave it in the pasta or um, just- Because you can eat it. I think exactly. people are always like, it's not spiralized beautifully, so I shouldn't consume it. But yeah, yeah you but should. You can toss it right in the pizza. So I want to start, you have like- so many interesting things about you that I'm going to have a hard time containing it in an hour, I feel like. But I want to start with the most recent journey of yours, which fascinated me, which is you um, had Bell's palsy, which is, it's is it completely gone now? I feel that it is. Yeah. Okay. I do. So can you explain what Bell's palsy is? Yeah. You know, funny enough, I didn't focus as much into the science behind it. I just you know, I, I obviously, my doctor told me I had it and I just worked on ways to help me get better from it. Um, so basically it's a pinched cranial nerve. It's a nerve in your brain and they're not exactly sure what causes it. They think it's a virus related thing. So a virus causes this to happen, like flares up and it pinches the nerve and then your uh, half of your face, it's just your face, half of your face goes completely numb. Um, they, there's certain viruses that they say cause it. I got tested for all the viruses. I didn't have any of them. And they say Lyme disease is a really common contributor. And I got tested. I did not have Lyme disease. So they're literally like, we don't know why it just happens. Is it ever related? I thought it was related to, to pregnancy and childbirth. Sometimes. So there's, true? there's some things that can make it, um, you have a higher chance of getting Bell's just palsy. Just because your immuno, your immune system's compromised. Exactly. Yeah. And what I realized is mine after going to more of a Western medicine perspective, that it was stress-related. And a lot of pregnant women and postpartum women are very stressed. Your body's stressed. You're, you know, you're, you've lost so much blood just literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, so they say that that can really ca- give you a higher percentage of getting it. So what was it – like when did you notice and what was it like that? Did you just like wake up and <laughs> half your face was frozen? Kind of. So I was – 
um, I remember I had a meeting that day and I, it was in the morning, I got on the spin bike in my apartment and I was spinning and halfway through my spin class, I was, you know, really breathing really heavily and I tried to just lick my lips and I couldn't actually lick half of my lip and it felt really odd, but I was like, maybe I'm just working out really hard, you know, it's a side effect, I don't know. So I got off, showered, got ready for my meeting and I went to put lipstick on and I could not put the lipstick on half my face. And I, I was like, maybe I, you know, you immediately think it's an allergic reaction. It's something topical, you know, it's nothing serious. You just think it's a freak incident. And I got to my meeting and it just got progressively worse and worse and worse. And of course my mom thought the worst. My husband was like, thought the worst. Or Did you think you're, I would, I would think I was having a stroke. So this is why I love my Instagram community. I posted something on Instagram immediately because I tell them everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my face is half numb. This is so weird. I must've eaten something funny. And I got so many messages saying it's Bell's palsy. This is, this is my friend who had it. This is my dad who had it. This, this is like whoever had it. I had it. This is how you can get better from it. And I'm like, I don't think I have Bell's palsy. That seems really serious. And there's other palsies that are very serious. So I it freaks me out a little bit, but I started researching it. Um, I got home from the meeting and I went to the doctor and he told me I had Bell's palsy. So I, I basically went through all my DMs and I'm like, I'm going to figure out how, what the best way to... So what is the best way to treat it? So the doctor, of course, immediately says you go on a steroid. It's a very... Um, prednisone is the steroid. And it's um, a very intense steroid. And that's supposed to help with inflammation. It's supposed to help... Um, bring your face back. Um, but I'm a nursing woman and their studies aren't concrete enough for me to be confident to take a steroid. And I obviously love nursing my son and I didn't want to have anything be wrong with him. My mother had taken prednisone before and had a really bad reaction. She had been prescribed it for a back issue. I just heard a lot of nasty things about the steroid. It doesn't always solve the issue. So um, luckily my Instagram community was like, acupuncture. It's like the number one, it's actually like one of the number one ways to cure, I'm putting cure in air quotes, Bell's palsy. And if you did nothing with Bell's palsy, would it just go away on its own? Is it just about accelerating that process? Half and half. So it does accelerate the process of healing. Um, You're not going to heal overnight, but it accelerates it. But people who don't immediately treat it have long lasting effects, like a little droopiness on their mouth or eye or something like that. So it could leave permanent effects. It affects everyone differently. Some people it lasts for two to three weeks, like it did for me, luckily. Some people six months and some people forever. Were you freaked out during that time that you could be like one of the forever people? Or were you like, no, I'm just like, it's going to be fine. (laughs) I was like, it's going to be fine. I mean, you for me, I can't tell myself that, oh my gosh, what if I have it forever? Because I'll get really down. And there was a moment where I started to think that. I'm like, Allie, it's going to be fine. Like, you're very strong. You're very healthy. You're. I went to acupuncture the next day. And I went to acupuncture almost every single day for two and a half weeks. And it went away by the third week. So what were those two and a half weeks like? Like, outside of the fear moments, did you have moments of vanity where you sort of reckon with the fact that your face looks <laughs> like it's it's just, it's your face looks so different it's like going to the dentist times like oh 20, yeah you know you know it's so uncomfortable that's that was the worst part about uh, bell's palsy you're just so uncomfortable half of your face is numb and that was the hardest part for me being the vanity never got to me for some reason because i knew it would get better so i knew mm-hmm. it wasn't forever maybe if it was something like this is what i'm going to look like for the rest of my life i would have the vanity would have hit me but um i you know 
it was very uncomfortable and that's kind of what I focus on and getting better. The hardest part was with my son because I couldn't smile. I couldn't really laugh. I couldn't even actually say the word like baby. I had had like a lisp. So that was the part that like got me down the most. And I didn't want him to think I was mad at him because when you have Bell's palsy, you're literally like, you cannot smile. Um, but, and I had some, um, I had a a really, really tragic sudden death in my family that week. So my attention was kind of on that. And I have very (laughs) awkward photos from his funeral service. And then like the next day was my birthday. So my 31st birthday pictures were hilarious. Everyone's making fun of me. So it it ended up being like a lot of things happen at once and I was distracted and I was so focused on getting better at my son that I didn't think about what I looked like. So you say that that was like caused by stress. You think that's like, are you doing things to mitigate stress now that you weren't before? Yeah. I mean, very random little things, but also big higher level things, like just being more, setting myself up for success in the mornings. I think my mornings get really hectic and then that causes stress throughout the day. And I'm always like a day like today, unfortunately I was running around and I I do feel stress. Um, so I try to set myself up the night before, like make everything, make sure everything is clean and set up for the day so I can just start fresh. But I've, you know, I didn't work out while I had Bell's palsy. I'm, I'm rarely working out now. I do daily walks, which really help, like for clarity's sake. Um, but you know, people who know me and follow me, I was like a high intensity, um, workout, like high yeah, intensity training bike, work. I feel yeah, I'm like on my bike like six days a week. I was doing Orange Theory Fitness five days a week during the winter. So I've always been a very like sweaty workout all the time, like go, 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 go. So this is like zero to, uh, well, this is a hundred to zero what do I'm doing right feel, now. Because a lot of people do workouts that are really sweaty as a way of relieving stress. And, but it also does like a number of doctors I've talked to are like, it spikes your cortisol, like this whole high intensity workout craze is not good for our hormones or our bodies yeah. overall. So do you feel more or less stressed when you're not having those included in your day? Less stress because what I realized through um, this whole process with Bell's palsy is that I was putting too much pressure on myself to make these workouts and to work out all the time. And every workout I would compete with myself, like, oh, I didn't work out as hard yesterday, like, or, you know, this workout needs to be better or the same as yesterday. And I, I put this pressure on myself that I didn't need to when all you really need to do is get your heart rate up a little bit every day, like a walk is fine and eat well. Do you work out for health or I know you have like a pretty compelling weight loss story as part of your Inspiralized journey where you lost how much, how much? 30 pounds. 30 pounds, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. So do you, are you still thinking about your body in the frame of like, got to maintain this weight loss or is it just like a sheer health perspective now? So I was working out to feel, once I started living a healthy lifestyle and that's how I end up losing 30 pounds, I, I thought about my body differently. I thought about strength more than anything. I wanted to be fit. I didn't want to be thin. I just wanted to feel good and strong and like tight in a way where I just had, I wanted muscles. I wanted muscle tone. Um, but after having a baby, you totally shift. You're just like, my body is stronger. My body is flabbier than it's any, ever been, but it's stronger than it's ever been. Because it produces it, like <laughs> a human being. Yes, a precious little baby. Yeah. So for me, I just, I don't feel pressure at all to work out, which is good and bad because then for me, when I don't work out as much, I don't make as healthy food choices, unfortunately. So I'm right now, I'm just trying to find the balance for me. Okay. How many workouts is it a week? Or is it just walking? Like that will get me feeling my healthiest. So I'm kind of adjusting to that now. And Bell's Paul really kind of changed my whole perspective. So I'm just trying to learn how to find my balance Interesting. Did being pregnant and after you had the baby, did that bring back any of the sort of old fears about 
gaining weight or anything like that? Or were you immediately just sort of comfortable in your body? Um, I, th- I think every woman is different. But for me, and I hate how it sounds so perfect and la la la, but it's true. I just felt so empowered when I was pregnant. I just felt like this is, I know how hard it is. I have friends who've had miscarriages, friends who have infertility issues, and I've been there with them. And I thought my pregnancy was a miracle. And I think all pregnancies are miracles. It's, you know, incredible. And so I just felt so blessed the whole time and grateful that after I had the baby, I was like, well, how dare I shame my body and and think this way when look what it just did. And like women want this. They would kill to be, you know, fit 30 pounds overweight if they could have a baby. Right. You know, so I just, I like- And you to- were able to actually feel like that yeah. like in every moment? Yeah. I never, I've never struggled with an eating disorder. I've always, the only like, way I ever thought about my body was I just feel gross. Like I don't feel good. I never luckily had like body image issues. I just always, I just could never find the balance of feeling good. So I would just feel like shame a lot about like, I don't feel my best, but I never looked at my body and been like, oh, I look gross. You know? Yeah. There's a fine line balance. And I think most people are more like, I hate my body. And I was more like, I love my body so much, but I just don't feel good. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember I like was at the gym with my dad when I was maybe 15 or something. And we had this conversation where I was like, 100% of the people are here because they're working out to lose weight. And he was like, no, 100% of the people are here because they're working out to feel better so they can like go on hikes and do the things they want to do. And it was so cognitively dissonant to me, the idea that 100% of the people wouldn't be there. Like I was like, why else would you work out? And then my dad was like, why else would you work out? And it was such a, a strange moment to realize yeah. that other perspective existed. That's like a pa- very powerful point for him to make. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's, yeah, he's just there so he can be like 80 and go hiking and stuff like <laughs> that, which he's doing a good job of. And I'm very proud that's of him. That's amazing. I have him trying to do 10,000 steps right now. So that's the new Did you goal. get him a watch that tracks it or something? It, the iPhone does it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I love it. I like check my steps at the end of every day. So he was like, he called me the other day and he was like, I walked everywhere I could think to walk and I'm only at 7,000 and I was just like, get back out there and go for another walk, dad. You can do it. That's awesome. I think, I think honestly, also something I learned through Bell's Palsy is that, and I knew this, I just, you you forget about it when you're in it, um, that diet is more important anyway. You know, I think working out was always for me to like, like feeling strong, feeling toned, those kind of things. Um, just feeling like I could lift a weight. I just like that feeling, but and it, obviously byproducts are slimming out, but eating well is, is so important. So I, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to focus on that balance right now. Like you learned that because your body didn't really change that much when you stopped working out a ton. Yes, exactly. And if, I, but when, what happened was I was, you know, after the Bell's palsy, I stopped working out and my diet started changing. And that's when I started just eating more unhealthy foods because I wasn't working out. I had this huge change that just happened to me. Bell's palsy, it caused stress, obviously. Um, and I just started eating more sugars and things like that. And I, I gained a little bit of weight. And so now I'm just kind of like, it's just all diet alley. It really is. Exercise is to feel good and to be powerful and feel proud of your body and what it can do. And the diet is really what will make you feel great and make you look great as well. Right. What are your like, um, when you're eating sugar, what are your foods that you're eating? Um, I mean, I love, I eat carbs all the time, but I love carbs. So I'll literally just eat like a half a loaf of bread with almond butter and banana. 
It's that just, even sounds kind of like my. I'll take a half a loaf, half a loaf of bread, and I'll just like smush butter in it and make like a butter sandwich and eat it. So I'm like, I'm butter banana. Like it makes you sound healthy. But yeah, but it's all like obviously yeah. very highly caloric. Um, I do that. I love chocolate bars. My husband the other day, I just wrote an Instagram post about this this morning. My my husband the other day goes, you know, for the past like two to three months, you've been eating one chocolate bar a night, and I wasn't even conscious about it because yeah. I was like, I've been struggling to find my my healthy uh you know foot traction again um and i'm like you're right i've been eating literally i checked my fresh direct order uh, where i buy a lot of groceries i'm like i've been buying a who kitchen almond butter puffed quinoa bar you know and it <laughs> tricks you because it's like oh well it's like the na- like who kitchen is you know what like refined sugar free yeah. like you're just like oh it's like a healthy chocolate bar but it's like still chocolate bar it's still chocolate bar it's still sugar and the things it does to you right do you what do you think of as like a healthy diet like, you know, there's the keto people and the paleo people and the vegan people, like how – and even for my new cookbook, um, which is called Healthier Together, like the podcast, but I had to write in the introduction, like, this is how I define the word healthy, which was a really weird moment for me to think about what that means. Well, let me ask you first. How did you define it? Well, that's cheating. I want to hear your answer <laughs> first. Um I mean, it's so personal, like you just said. Everyone has a different definition of what healthy means. To me, healthy is balance. And I would say it's just eating foods most of the time that nourish you and fuel you and make you feel good. And then balancing that with some type of exercise. I put that in air quotes, some sort of way to get your heart your heart um, pumping and your blood flowing. Um, and however that makes you feel the best. And I think that it doesn't have to be a certain diet. It could be like, it's the you diet, right? It's what you eat. I eat every single type of food. There's no food I don't eat. Um, so I wouldn't be able to put a label on my diet, but it's just like my me diet. For me, it's usually eating primarily vegetarian, um, eating like lots of lentils and quinoa and beans and things like that and brown rice and whole grains um, and seafood. Um like vegetarian during the day, maybe seafood at night, something light like that. And like a lot of vegetables. A lot. I eat like a, yeah, a lot, a really high fiber diet I'm trying to focus on right now because I've realized that's what's been helping me lately. Um, just a really fibrous diet. Um, I drink so much water. As you see here, I have a water cooler and we go through that huge five gallon jug twice a week, just my husband and I. Um, I drink a lot of water. And I think that really helps with your skin and your just digestive system and everything. But and do you do any of the sort of like more fatty stuff? Like will you do like adaptogens or like, um, you know, the new health crazes all the time? You know, I just did a – I just spoke in a panel about this because the, the question was what um, – how do you help simplify eating well and, and wellness? Because um, obviously – there's a lot out there. There's adaptogens. There's just a lot of different ways to eat, things like that. And I just try not to buy a lot of products. And I try to just sim- think about wellness and health and my diet really simply. Like the healthiest people out there don't really eat those crazy foods. You know, it's, it's such a consumerist le- world we live in right now. And you don't need all this stuff to be well. What you need is what works for you. And it's just real food. And I think that if you can just get down to basics, you know, my grandparents didn't have adaptogens and they lived really long. My grandma lived, she was like 93. Um, and she ate a lot of ice cream, you know? So it's like, it's balanced. And it's just going back to your roots, not in a paleo sense of mine, just going back to your roots. And like, we just need real simple whole food and that's it, you know? And like, right. and exercise and don't be too stagnant, you know? And like, open your eyes, look at the world, breathe fresh air, like all these basic things. And what I also learned through Bell's Palsy to go back to the original theme is that happiness 
is all part of this balance and it's so important because you could be the healthiest person in the world but if you're not ha- if you're not happy and centered and you can't like love yourself and people around you it, it, the whole thing is off balance and it just affects you physiologically you're listening to the healthier together podcast I want to take a quick break so I can tell you a little bit about one of my favorite supplements right now, Charlotte's Web. If you're not living under a rock, you've likely heard of CBD. It's the wellness supplement du jour. It's the non-psychoactive component of the hemp or marijuana plant, meaning it won't get you high at all, and it interacts with a huge number of parts of your body to help bring them back into balance. Charlotte's Web takes this one step further. Rather than isolated CBD, it's a full-spectrum hemp extract, which I love because I prefer plants in the whole food form generally. I just assume that nature knows far more than us at this point about everything working synergistically. The company is also vertically integrated, which means they produce everything in the bottle from seed to shelf. With hemp extract or CBD, this is a huge deal since it can often be contaminated. And if you're taking a contaminated supplement, it kind of beats the point, doesn't it? Charlotte's Web is also legal in all 50 states. So this is how I use it. I usually take two full dropperfuls of the Mint Chocolate Plus, which is the middle strength one out of the three strengths, and I put that under my tongue at night. I let it sit there for about 20 seconds since it absorbs better by sitting under your tongue rather than going through the stomach or digestive system, and then I swallow. I really find that it helps promote a healthy sleep cycle for me. I also keep a bottle at work, and I'll take one dropper full just to deal with stress throughout the day. Again, it does not make you feel high at all. I personally find that I just feel way calmer, especially when I'm taking it regularly. I also love to make healthy recipes with it. I have a lavender chocolate truffle recipe coming out in my new Healthier Together cookbook, and I also have a lavender hot chocolate recipe on my Instagram feed. So clearly I like lavender and chocolate together. I use the unflavored version for recipes, although the mint chocolate one would be super delish and some chocolate energy balls, which I would love to just like have a stash of in my fridge whenever I'm feeling that burst of stress around three in the afternoon. I feel like you know what I'm talking about there. It'd also be really good in ice cream, I think. So I'll have to try that. If you want to try the CW Hemp Extracts, they have been kind enough to offer 10% off for all Healthier Together listeners. Just go to cwhemp.com backslash healthier together, cwhemp.com backslash healthier together, like the name of the podcast, and use the code healthier together when you check out to get 10% off. Again, that's code healthier together, cwhemp.com backslash healthier together. And then hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody with any questions. I've studied this stuff a ton and I love talking about it. I truly believe in it and it's made a massive difference in my life. All right, let's get back to the interview. Okay, so we just took a little break because Luca woke up and Allie was breastfeeding him, which is lovely. So he's had a snack. He's off on a, a walk now. Um, lucky, lucky boy. It's like living the life, right? You just he get really fed does. and then everybody wants to entertain you and all of that. Everyone loves you. I know. Everybody thinks you're like adorable. <laughs> you can't do no, you can't do any wrong when you're I know. Even when you like vomit on your mom, she's like, oh, it's okay. I know. Like, it's totally fine. You're like, thank you for that vomit. <laughs> yeah. Do you like not get grossed out by anything anymore? No. Cause you're, is it, but just with him, right? Like if. Lou threw up, you'd be like, this is gross, right? Or does it being a mom just like make you not care about anything? Yeah, you don't care about anything. A lot of things change. I One of the things I always say is like, 
along with the baby, like my memory came out my vagina. You just lose things. You gain a lot. You're much more fulfilled. I think you're sharper in ways, but you're you're you become like desensitized to things, you know. Interesting. Like you, gross things. Especially like, like open. Yeah. I mean yeah. when I went to the hospital I was kind of I've always been like a private person in like the nudity sense. Like yeah. I don't get like I can't go into a, a bathroom and get, like, naked with my friends. I've just never been one of those people. Right. Not because of what we were talking about before, like, body issues. I just – it's weird to me. Nudity is very private to me. Um, and so, you know, when you're giving birth, you're literally – like, my husband was holding a leg. This nurse was oh, holding a leg. Did you think going into it, though, that you'd be like, you're going to stay up at my head? Or were you always like, it's fine, whatever? Well, I think after all of your – you know, your OBGYN appointments and, like, men and women being down there and, like, them – checking everything out. I got very desensitized. I'm like, whatever. At that point also, you want that baby to be there so much that you're just, you don't care. You're in like a focused mode where like it's baby time. Right. So. That's interesting. You wrote your birth story on the, on the blog, which mm-hmm. I read. Oh, thanks. Um, do you, how do you, do you still remember all of it? That's always something that I'm really interested in. Because yeah. they say you forget, like, the pain of it. You know, I remember the pain because there was a very specific moment where we – um, we went to the hospital. I was, I wanted to labor very long at home because I didn't want to go to the hospital and get drugs and then end up having a C-section, which happens a lot. Um, so I labored at home. It was time to go. I went to the hospital and I knew I was, I always knew I was going to get the epidural. My, my idea, my fantasy idea was like, I'll labor as long as I can until I need it. And maybe I won't need it, but I knew I would have it. I have a very low pain tolerance. So I got there. And to wait for the epidural, you have to have a bag of fluids go through your entire system. Why? You need to be hydrated or else you're like puke or get really sick from the epidural. And so I remember very specifically, I'll never forget, sitting there, staring at that bag, waiting for the flu. It took a long time, like 45 minutes of laboring extra until those fluids and left the bag. did you ask for it right when you were like – Right when I got there. So... No, no, when I got there, I was okay. like, <laughs> I'm ready for this. Um, so I had to watch. And at one point, I remember just turning around and like saying to Lou, my husband, I'm like, I can't even – look at this bag anymore just like tell me when it's there tell me when we only have a few more minutes it was like was it the worst pain you've ever felt in your life yeah like yeah. by far but i've never had like broken bones or like right bones popping out of my flesh i don't what know i've never the worst had pain you had before birth um i've never i've never had a the worst thing I could ever think about is like just a sickness. Like I had the swine right. flu. You had swine flu? Yeah. Oh my God, that's funny. But I've never. You get the weird stuff. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, that was, that was, um, so I'll never forget that pain. And then there's things that happen to you. They don't tell you a lot about after birth. That's like just really gross. And that also desensitizes you. Like the amount of fluids that come out of your body. It's just. And like keep coming out for uh, a for, while, for, right? Like months. Just crazy. Yeah, it Do is. you feel like back – at what point did you feel like, this is my normal body, like I'm back in myself? Um, I think when you he- – so I had um, like a little bit of tearing, like a normal amount. And so the first like six to eight weeks, you're you're still like bleeding and releasing fluids and your stitches are still stitching up. Mm. So for like – Like it hurts every time you pee kind of? Not peeing. You can't wipe. You have to like blot and – because you can't like rub the stitch – and I just felt like everything was a pain to do, like getting dressed, walking hurt after like 10 minutes because we have like raw stitches. Down yeah. There. So, like um, in the worst place in the worst to place. have stitches. <laughs> yes. 
It's probably why they give circumcisions to boys when they're babies because men could not, never deal with that later they on. They would also just like never. I always say like if men had to get IUDs, like they would, it would be like an anesthesia type oh. situation. Like I just feel like women are, I think it's a greater conversation, but I think women are expected to endure such levels of pain that men never are expected to endure. Yeah. And they wouldn't. Like I feel like the entire medical system would be different if men got their periods every month and oh, had like yeah. cramps and like IUDs and birth control. <laughs> like they wouldn't abide by the side effects that women like casually deal with. No, they wouldn't. Yeah, I think it's insane. So were you nervous about birth leading up to it or were you just like meh? Do you get anxious or like what do you get anxious? Or I know I can about? tell you're trying to pull it out of me, and I I because it's the thing that fascinates me most about you I know. is you just seem so it's so opposite to how I live my life, but you just seem so like roll with the punches, like everything's fine. I'm so like fine. like if I just feel like an asteroid if an asteroid was coming to the earth, I would like. <laughs> come over to your house because I feel like you'd be like, here's what we're going to do. Like, here, it's fine. Well, I'll give you an example of my kind of personality. So when I went into labor, when I started going to labor, so this isn't going to labor. My water broke. When my water broke, um, it was a Sunday and my parents and my sister and her husband and Lou and I were all going to go out to brunch at around one o'clock, like more like a lunch. And my grandma was there. And so I, my water breaks at noon and my husband's like, you know, he's like building a playlist for the hospital, like plugging in our phones, trying to make sure everything's ready. And he, you know, he, I put on my diaper and I'm like, cool, like this is happening. And he's like, okay, like we should call your family, tell them to like meet us at the hospital. I'm like, Lou, I'm not gonna, I don't need to go to the hospital right now. You have 24 hours after your water breaks to get to the hospital. And I'm like, let's just go have lunch. I mean, I'm hungry. I want to have my meal because you can't eat once you get to the hospital. So we literally went to lunch at one o'clock and then I started laboring 15 minutes after my water broke, I think, if I remember correctly. So halfway through the lunch, I'm like, okay, I think I should get back to my apartment now. Like, this really hurts. So you're literally like sitting there at lunch having contractions? Yeah, like breathing through contractions. So I'm, I, <laughs> I'm not – I don't – you know, I don't get anxiety. I definitely get stressed because obviously I really truly believe Bell's palsy was because of stress. I just think I – it manifests in different ways in me, stress. Like, I never feel – oh my God, I'm so stressed. I never feel that way. I just feel like excited. Like, okay, I have a lot to do. I'm going to get it done. And, and But then my body internally is very stressed, you know, and I don't, do I don't. Do you have physical, like other than the Bell's palsy, do you ever get like stomach aches or any, you know, like other physical manifestations of stress? <sighs> no, but I'm a big stress eater. Mm. So I guess yes, in, in a sense. So you'll like be standing in front of the freezer with ice cream and then you'll be like, maybe I'm stressed. Yes. Well, and my husband will be like, you just ate a half a loaf of bread. I'm like, I know. I have a lot of work to do. And I'm like, oh, stress eating. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Were you like that when you were a kid? Like um, kind of just like easygoing? You know, my – I think I've always put a lot of pressure on myself to like ex- excel. My, my I don't know if we've ever talked about this or if you've ever read it and anything I've written about, but my, my older brother, he's three years older than me. He's bipolar. He's much more than just bipolar, obviously, but he is bipolar. And he was the quote unquote, you know, black sheep and troubled child. And um, was he diagnosed when you were quite young? Like, did you always know it was that, or was it just like, what's wrong with him? Why is he acting this way? Um, he was so when he was um, three, three, yeah, when he was three, I was just born. We're three years apart. Um, when he was three, he got diagnosed with uh, meningitis, and they think that the meningitis um, something happened chemically in his brain, and he developed. Oh, bipolar wow. disorder. I guess that can happen. I'm not um, 
as well versus my mother is in it, obviously. Yeah. So he, she thinks that's what happened because we don't have a history of depression in our family. Um, so, but he had ADD, ADHD, SAD, like seasonal affective disorder. He's had, um, a lot of different like anxiety issues. So he's had a lot of different mental hardships. Um, so I think like growing up with that and seeing the stress it caused my, my parents, I just wanted to always excel and remain calm because I felt like, okay, I'm like the rock. And my mom always said like, if it wasn't for you, I'd be like crazy. So that put a lot of pressure on me. Yeah, that's like its own and timing. Yeah. But I, I never like... I don't resent her at all for it. It made me who I am, and I I do love the person that I am. Have you ever had moments where you're like, I cannot be the rock anymore? (laughs) Um, Have I ever had moments like that? I don't think so because I liked being there for my mom and being, like, doing well in school. Like, it just felt great. Like, I could see she was so happy, and it made me feel great. So it was like a win-win, I guess. Do you have other siblings? I have a little sister, yep. And then Little. She's three years younger than me. What is she – you know, a she's rock, like, or is she just she, like the littlest kid where she can do whatever the fuck she wants? She's a baby, yeah. yeah. She does whatever she wants. She still acts like she's 16 years old with my parents. Like, right. um, she actually lives in the building uh, right next to mine that's connected to me. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, we got her to move here from New York a while ago. She's like, you know, my best friend. She's awesome. She's like really, really social and fun and outgoing. And I'm more of like, I have my four best friends. That's all I need. You know, I have my husband and my and my baby. That's it. How has your having the baby affected your relationship with Lou? Um, I think probably the same way it affects most people. It it brings you together, but it changes your relationship. Like I look at Lou in a different way now. I look at him as like this like amazing father and it like warms my heart to the end of time to see him as a dad and see Luca's eyes light up when he walked into the room, the way he cares for him. Like I love Lou so much more on different levels. I didn't think I could. But then, like, it changes a relationship because you become, especially in the beginning, now it's not as bad. But in the beginning, you're literally just, like, cohabitating. You're, like, not sleeping. You're just trying to raise this baby. Right. You're not It's, like, all hands on deck. Yeah. Like, you know, for for a while, for a very long time, I was obviously still wearing maternity clothes because I was still getting back into shape. And I remember him coming home one day and he was like, I think you've been wearing that shirt since Sunday and it was Friday. I'm like, you know, so you just don't care as much about your appearance. And when you're in a relationship, like part of it is like feeling good about yourself, like feeling sexy together. And you kind of like forget all that for a while because it's all about this baby. It's hard to maintain your, your sense of like, I'm a wife and I want to feel sexy and hot. And like, it's hard to do that. So it like affects different parts of your so how do you, like, you and him both, I hate the, like, work-life balance, like, especially for moms, because I, I think it's true for both of you, but, like, you you have so many different hats that you're wearing all the time. Do you schedule them? Like, are you, like, I'm going to schedule date night. This is my time with my kid. This is my time where I'm working. So I'm very lucky and fortunate to have a nanny now. So I got a nanny when he was five months old, um, and, and that's when I, like, went back full-time with Inspiralized. Um, so... She works eight to five and now in the beginning it was really hard, but now she comes at eight and leaves at five. And even though I nurse him throughout the day and I I make all his food and give him all his food, when 5 p.m. comes, it's like the best time because I don't even have my my cell phone unless I like want to take a picture of him. I'm not doing any work and I that time until he goes to bed is like me and Luca time. So that that's like a scheduled block, I guess, that like I love. We we build date nights around when my parents are in town usually. My little sister actually just um 
became obsessed with babysitting Luca. Um, I think she's just more confident with him now. So that's going to be great to have her for like date nights. Yeah, but he seems less fragile. I feel yeah, like, I think. Age. And I never held a baby before I held Luca. Yeah. So um, I get it. So we kind of build that around like when my par- my mom's going to be here, we'll go on a date night. And we, we go out with the baby all the time because we're doing baby led weaning and he can just eat anything we eat at restaurants. So it's easy to just take him everywhere. Um, but a lot of our social life is with the baby, which is really fun. Like you love seeing your child, like open his eyes and see the world, you know? And, um, I'm so happy we live in a place where he can see so much. Um, and it's just great to see him absorb something or like, for me, that's more exciting than like a date night with my husband, sadly, because we're, but we're together. So it's kind of like a date. It's like a day date, (laughs) you know, with your husband. You're always on a day date with your husband. Do you get anxious about I mean you're obviously like an incredibly hard worker and you've like written all these books and you have your your product and all of that do you get anxious about turning everything off at five like oh I should be like on Instagram engaging with people or anything like that well what's what's easy about it now is that the baby is usually asleep by like seven thirty eight. so if I need to do things at night I know I always have that time and my husband understands he's an entrepreneur as well like he never shuts it off and I respect that he's trying to build his business also Um, But I definitely feel the one thing I have like, and I don't know if the word is anxiety about it, but the one thing that I struggle with is like, I don't think I'm doing as good as I could do or as well as I could do. And as I don't think I'm as successful as I should be at this point. I was going to ask if you felt success. I mean, you've had best-selling books, like New York Times best-selling books. Yeah. And you have a really popular product that's sold in, you know, real stores around (laughs) the country. And do, do you look at yourself and like think, or when you see people... You, you've gotten recognized on the street and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And does, does any of that make you feel successful? It all felt, makes me feel successful along the way, like all these accolades and, and the recognition, of course. And when I'm invited to like a speaking engagement for to talk about entrepreneurship, I always feel successful. But day to day, I don't feel very successful, which is which is very odd. I feel like I should be doing more. There's things I want to do that I'm not doing. There's things I want to build that I'm not building. Um like what? I mean, I think that there's other products that I've been working on that have been just taking me way too long. And I think that when I was pregnant, I kind of plateaued because I wanted to enjoy being pregnant. Like that, you have your first pregnancy to yourself. You don't know if it's going to be your last pregnancy, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just took it as a time to like, I'm still going to do my job, but I just want to enjoy this pregnancy. And I don't want to stress myself out too much. I also want the baby to be born in like a non-stressed out body. Right. So I kind of, um, so now I'm like getting, I've, finally gotten back into the groove and I'm just, I have so much I want to do, which is why I time block all the time because it's the only way I can get things done. Um, what a time block just means like, do you like literally be like, this is my hour for brainstorming. This is my hour for answering emails, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I do it. Um, I use it in my phone calendar. So like my uh, Google calendar. So I get alerts. So if I'm, even if I'm in the middle of a sentence on an email, I will like put it in my drafts and start the next block. And you won't check your email when you're not in an email checking time? No, I won't. That's like, <laughs> it takes a lot of self-control, I feel like, but that would be like a game changer. It is. It's 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 less the email too. It's more the DMs on in, in Instagram because I'm very, um, very open and communicative with my community and I'm always responding. Like I respond to every single DM, even if it's just a heart. Mm-hmm. So like, hundreds a day I'm, I'm constantly doing it so when I time block I, I do like DMs like one hour will be DMs and 
So it's like, I just get so much more done because I'm not as focused on that because it takes time, you know? Right. So when you're thinking about whether you're successful, it's always about things that you want to be doing in the future that you're not doing now. It's never like that person's so successful because they've done this or they have this many followers. It's not comparative. You know, it's not comparative on social. I don't really compare myself anymore on social media because it's, it's just not, it's not healthy, but it's also fake. Like Instagram, people are buying things. They're like, they have their, their ways of building their communities that isn't authentic. And, um, I think you need to diversify the way you're successful because if you're just an Instagram success that could die tomorrow, you know, right. I just, I feel like Inspiralize isn't big enough and I don't really know exactly, you know, obviously I could be, I could make a restaurant if I wanted, I, I, I could have a TV show, I could have all these different things that are really big and I don't even think if I had those things, I'd still feel successful. I just think I'm an overachiever, but I, what happens to me sometimes, unfortunately, is I have these like big dreams and if I don't um, get to them, I get really discouraged and then I kind of like take a step back. So what do you do in those moments? Um, you know, in those moments, I like to talk to people that are – talk to people or listen to people that are successful because usually what they say, they have the same issue and then they'll just like, you know, prioritize things in their life. And usually what I what, – how I deal with that is like, like what you just said, you have New York Times bestselling cookbooks, you have a successful product, you have this, you have a baby, you have a loving husband. I, I – I love my relationship with my husband. We're very in love. My baby's amazing. He's healthy. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. And I kind of like say all these things to myself and it grounds me a bit. I like, I love to listen to like a podcast episode where I know it'll, it'll, you know, make me inspired to be a better businesswoman. Like I love the, how I built this one. I just always become inspired and I never become jealous. Like, oh, look what they built. It's more like, okay, I know I can get there. Like this person just inspired me and I'll take like a little piece of advice and run with it. Do you feel like there's key things like that people could do to, if they wanted to start their own business or become like a better businesswoman? I mean, my number one thing is if it doesn't consume your every thought, don't pursue it. If it's not something you're wildly obsessed about and, and really passionate about and you know like without a doubt it's going to be a success, don't pursue it because it's a very thankless thing, entrepreneurship, as you know, and it's you're just always striving towards something and you get a lot of rejection. I get no's every day. Um, so I think you have to know in your heart of heart that it's going to be successful. So you still get no's even oh, at yeah. your sort of level of, of success. Yeah, of course. And, um, yeah, I mean, cause I think people tell themselves like, oh, if I like, if I ha- if I hit this level, then all the doors will open and I'll feel good and I'll, you know, it, you tell yourself these things and then yeah. it's interesting when you see people who have had those levels and then they still, you know. So one of the one of the first pieces of business advice I heard was that um, don't put all your eggs in in one basket. And I forget what the what it was in reference to. I think it was like a PR PR podcast or article or something I read, and it was like don't think because you get an article in the New York Times that you're be- going to become the most successful business overnight. Don't put all your eggs in a basket. Don't bank on something. Like never bank on something. Um, it, that article could get pulled. That are you know the article might be not as successful, and nothing is going to launch you. It's like what you do every day, slowly and build and build and build. Mm-hmm. That's going to get you there. Um, so I think that's extremely important. Interesting. Okay, switching gears. Yeah. You have one of the craziest stories of your past that I've ever heard. 
Um, and you allude to it sometimes. I don't know if you've told it on your blog or anything, but you allude to it as part of your like, why I'm such an insanely positive, well-adjusted <laughs> person, which again, like if I sound fascinated by it, it's just because I literally am sometimes. I feel like I should get like a little bracelet that's like, what would Allie do? do? Yeah. And it's, you seem like, very... It would just all together, but it's for me, it's like, it's the little like duck, you know, it's like smooth on top of the water and then underneath it's like paddling frantically. Like I just feel like my thoughts are turning constantly. And then when people actually have thoughts that seem like still and calm, I'm like, let's get into this. I think that's a sign of brilliance. That's what I mean. I think so. I'll, yeah. Well, so that's what, what Allie would say. So for me, I'm like, that's a sign of insanity. And Allie's like, I think that's a sign of brilliance, which just adds to my point. But can you um, talk a little bit about the the story about what happened to your mom? Because I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the reason why, and I didn't really know this until maybe like a year ago, I realized, because people were saying to me, through what I've been doing with Inspire Allies, you're just so like happy all the time and positive and, you know, and people always in podcasts when they interview me or interview me anywhere, they're always like, you know, are you like anxious? Are you stressed? Like, tell me what it is. But We're all like trying to like, like scrape back I the know. surface and be like, what's <laughs> under there? <laughs> and I'm very real. I would, I would tell you. Um, so I consider myself very grateful. I know people talk a lot about gratitude and one of my favorite you know, business people um, is Gary Vaynerchuk and his big thing is gratitude as well. And I've listened to a lot of his podcasts about it and a lot of what he talks about and it's just very true. Um, but so I'm, I'm, I consider myself very positive and grateful because I am truly grateful to be alive and have my family and have all these blessings. And I think that, um, and I'll get to the story obviously, but I think that we're just not a grateful society anymore. Maybe my generation, our generation isn't, but I feel like a lot of people, if they show more gratitude, they'd be just happier people. And they do you do like a gratitude like practice where you do like the three things you're grateful for every day type of thing or something? Or is it just like something you've ingrained in your life on a more holistic so, level? I've ingrained it because of this story. I'll tell you. Okay. Um, great question to get me back <laughs> on that. Um, so when I was a freshman in college, so this is 2005. My um, I got a like a, I think it was called, it was AOL Instant Messenger. So like an AIM message. And it was from someone who lived in my town back home. And they said, Hey, Allie, is everything okay with your mom? This is like a nighttime. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, of course. Why? And like, Oh, we saw like helicopters and, and we saw police cars like on your street. And we were um, like, we heard something about your mom. Like she got kidnapped or something. So I was, you know, did you think like this is bullshit when you Yeah, okay. I, I just thought it was some silly kid who's like in my sister's grade. I don't know. I thought it was something silly. Um and so I called my sister who was in high school and I called her and she started crying. So she handed the phone to someone else who was my uncle and my uncle proceeded to tell me that my mother had been kidnapped earlier that day. Um he told me, you know, what had happened to her and never told me she was okay and I'm like is she alive? I'm like bursting tears. I'm like, is she alive? And he's like, yeah, yeah, she's fine. She's here now. Like she's still at the police department, but she's fine. So what had happened is that um, it was the morning. My father owns a landscaping company to give you a little background. He owns a landscaping company. The night before, um, one of his workers who he'd laid off slept, um, hid out in a shed on our property overnight. And in the morning when my father went to work, he came into the home and my parents' home and my mom was coming down the staircase with a bag of laundry and she's a stay-at-home mother. 
with a bag of laundry and he came out from the corner with a gun and a knife, this man. And he duct taped her head to toe and dragged her out of the house, put her in um, her, her car and drove her to this abandoned shed, like maybe three miles away from our house and put her in, in this box, tried to put her in this box and said, you know, stay here, I'll kill you. Um, so she, what ended up happening was that she, um, was laying on the ground and she said that she's diabetic to give you also even more backstory. She's diabetic and she was having low blood sugar. She was about to like literally pass out. And she said that she closed her eyes, saw a light and the light opened and a it was an image. Like she saw this, she like hallucinated this. She saw a police officer coming to her. To, to, I'm sorry, to me and my sister standing at our door saying your mom died. She was kidnapped and she died. And she said she woke up from like this diabetic shock almost and she found like a hard, uh, I think it was a piece of wood and she had duct tape on her wrist obviously and she basically with her hands and the sharp piece of wood jig jiggled her way out and got her hands free and then took as much tape as she could off so that she could run. And she was like, I opened the door of the shed. He could be out there waiting for me. But she's like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't, this story is not going to end this way that I die. Like, my girls need me, um, which was hard for my brother, <laughs> obviously, when she tells the story. So she ran out, um, and luckily he wasn't there. She ran out to the road, like, screaming, hollering, and a car drove by, picked her oh up, and God. drove her to the police station. So in the meantime, my father had come home, saw the police trashed, and immediately went to the police station. And while he was at the police station, he gets a call from this man. And the man says, I want a million dollars for your wife or she dies. So this guy was stupid, of course, on many levels. And he had stolen my mother's phone. So they, they um, found him through the GPS on her phone because he was using it and arrested him. And he is ending up now in 20 years in prison. But she – he was found they, – they basically – he pled insanity. They put him in an, an institution, and he was found 10 minutes outside my um, our, our home with a gun. So they thought he was coming back again. So then they put him in prison. He's in prison for 20 years, and then he is um, actually deported back to his home country of Guatemala. So what I say, what I didn't know this when it all happened. I was so young in college, and it was just obviously a huge shock and really hard to go through. Um, but what I... What I remember most is the last conversation my mother and I had on the phone. We were like fighting about something silly, you know. I'm like 18 years old, whatever you are when you go to college. And we had some silly fight and we just didn't end the conversation well. So I'm just obviously now after everything happened, everyone who I touch in my life, even when I go to bed with my husband at night, like I'll never go to bed angry. It's like I kiss you, I love you. And even with my mother, it's always on the phone. Always, I love you. We're always like, we never fight on the phone. It's always like, if we do fight, we end on a good note. And I'm just happy to have my mother in my life. And my mother is my rock. She's my role model. She's an extremely strong woman because a lot of housewives, I don't know if they would have that strength. You know, it's she. A lot of like <laughs> people in general. Man athletes. <laughs> I don't know if they would have that strength. Like she. How did she process that? Did she have PTSD or anything from she it? She didn't at all. She cried like once. Um, and I think it was when she saw – I think it was she, she saw me. She She's kind of – I gotta get, I guess I get it from my mother. She's not an anxious person. She's not stressed. She 
She always says there's a solution to every problem. It's some advice her father gave her. And I live my life like that. Why get stressed? Why care? Like, there's going to be a solution like, to find this. find the solution. Yeah. Like, there's no use in sweating the small stuff. All those things are true. So she's very – she didn't cry or anything. My father was a mess. Did he have – like, did he feel a sense of responsibility? 100%. employee. Yeah. I walked home – um, from so my mother didn't even let me come home. She was it was finals or something. It was right before Thanksgiving, I think, or Christmas. And she's like, no, no, take your finals. I'm fine, Allie. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. So she, I didn't even get to come home for like two weeks or something like that. And I saw her obviously, and it was like her hair had been ripped out from the tape, and I just oh cried. God. It was really, it was really bad. My father, I came home like from college, and I remember he was like walking around the house with a gun. I'm like, Dad, if someone comes to get you, like, like are you gonna yeah. shoot them? Exactly. Yeah. What are you doing with this gun? Yeah. Like, but he felt like awful, and it really affected him. And I still think it does a little bit to this day, like just the way they protect their, themselves, their house, and everything. Um, but my mother, um, just a very strong woman, and it's made me be a stronger person because of her, and that she got through that, and that she, it has, she didn't let it affect her life, she didn't let it make her scared of living, and it just makes me. Yeah, real- didn't make her. I feel like it could go either direction yeah. of like you're like live every moment. It's you know appreciate all these things, or it could go to the direction of like you cannot trust people, like right. be afraid of everything. No, it didn't. And she still is like she, her nickname in high school was Smiley. She still always smiles, laughing, like happy, positive. And I think I guess I must have gotten that from her because my father is the whole opposite spectrum. Um, but my, I just why not be grateful? Why not be gracious? Like we're healthy, we have roofs over our head. We have you know most of us are lucky to if you have your family in your life. You should be really grateful for that because my mother could have died. She could have died from diabetic shock. She could have gotten shot by this man, and I could not have my mother in my life. And I don't know if I could have made it through something like that. So that's where I get my um, my gratitude and my positivity. And I just I'm very thankful to be alive and to be where I am. And I'll never take it for granted. That's like an insane. Story. <laughs> it's like truly one of the most insane stories. I mean, I can't. I I can't even imagine being your it's just like something that only happens in a movie you i know. know it's just it's crazy that that's real in any sort of real way yeah and it's geez. also like the stuff that would happen in a movie it's interesting because like she escaped that day too and like if you were writing the plot for a movie like i would never think of a kidnapping as happening and then being over in the same day either. yeah it's like what's that what was that show it was called 24 yeah that it's like yeah it's the like episode <laughs> it would be like a 24-hour movie basically that's so interesting did your siblings respond in the same way where they both sort of got a renewed sense of life is wonderful you know i think my sister is it got got the anxiety my sister's a very anxious person and she got it from my dad she's anxious about flying she's anxious about a lot of different things um and i think that well, she was in high school so it was very scary for her and i think that she it drew her even closer to my mother. Um, but no, there was never like residual negative effects. Right. Um, but for me, it turned into like a very positive, the silver lining of everything that happened is that it changed my perspective because I was always someone who was, I would, I had considered myself a somewhat jealous person before that. And that was just in high school. I, I, I just, I had, I had jealousy, I had jealousy toward my siblings. I just, I wasn't very grateful. So. Do you think that gratitude is the antidote to jealousy? Um, I think so because I think if you love yourself and you're you're happy with your life and you're you're grateful for your life, why be jealous? Because you should gratitude in itself is you're you're you are gracious, right? You're you're grateful, so it's something where what you have you're happy with. So it doesn't 
I don't, I think of people who are jealous aren't happy with themselves and what they have, you know? Is there anything you can do to have that other than have, have your, your mother be kidnapped? <laughs> um, it's really, really hard. And because I'm someone who came from something tragic and it turned into this, I, I don't know exactly how I would have done it otherwise. I think that it is almost like listening to stories like this and realizing, I mean, just doing like an audit of your life. And I I think if you turn on the news, there are a lot of people who have it worse than the average person who's probably listening to this podcast. And it's just, you know, there's just so much more to be thankful for. Trust me, there's a lot to be, you know, whatever, jealous about or not thankful for. There's a lot of bad things that happen to us all day. You know, every day there's things that aren't great that we wish were better, but there's more in the plus side than the minus side. I also think we have, as humans, the tendency to compare up and we almost never compare down. And when you're constantly comparing up, you obviously have such a different perspective on your life. And and comparing down almost feels shitty. Like, oh, I'm going to (laughs) like look at that homeless person and feel grateful about my life. But it is like, if I'm going to spend so much time looking at this celebrity who like is at this resort and I'm like, why can't I be there? You yes. know? And that brings up a good point too. I was just talking about this. One of the things I did that also helped with just being happy and positive is doing an audit of my Instagram. Because I think if you're following people who are making you feel that way, like why are I getting invited to this beautiful resort to take pretty pictures of myself? I, I should be getting, if you're thinking that way, unfollow that person and just follow people like Liz and like Allie who live lives that are, you know, very messy. Yeah, very messy. <laughs> I have a few pictures on my Instagram of me with puke on myself for my son. So not glamorous. Yeah. You won't be envious of my life. <laughs> <laughs> for, there are certain things that are very enviable by your life. Um, I just think that Instagram has kind of, it's an amazing platform, but it's ruined a lot of things for people, you know, and I think that you need to do an audit of your life, your your who you follow on social media, because that's really powerful because you're consuming that every day. Who and makes you, you feel the most positive that you follow? Like, are there people that you're just like, ah, oh, yes, that's what my soul needed? Um, I always get this question and I like reach for my phone because when you consume something all the time, yeah. you don't even remember who it is. But um, honestly, like I like following my like friends. Yeah, your like actual we, real life yeah, like, friends. I feel like people don't follow their friends. Yeah, that's it's, you know? which is so funny. But yeah, no, when my friends post content, which I feel like it almost gets buried sometimes in yeah. all the other accounts that I follow, but when they do, it is the, the content that makes me feel 100% the happiest. Yeah, like my friend Cassidy is hilarious. And she like, it's I think it's only like once a week or maybe a couple of days a week, but she has this like it's the same angle and it's of her boyfriend. They just moved in together and it's of her boyfriend like making her dinner and she she's like, cook for me, bitch, or something funny like that. And it puts a smile on my face. But it's also like you know both of those people. You yeah. know their relationship. I think the problem with real. social media is it's like it's it's such a snapshot and you think you know the person but you don't. So when you actually do know the person, it's a completely different experience. Yes, exactly. And, you know – on a daily basis if you're seeing people who are made up all the time you might think less of your appearance and my friends aren't like in full makeup and hair every day you know it's just I think following like my sister and my friends just helps me keep real and if you look at like my Instagram stories like the top people are people that I know that's cool that's actually it's like it's a it's an obvious tip but a very smart one yeah and there's um, there's other influencers obviously that I do follow but um, that's probably my number Liz one Liz Moody yeah Liz Moody you are one of my top <laughs> Your recent snaps of your husband are really... Have, He's a cutie, right? Yeah, of course. I you know. Just show He's him such more. a cutie. Yeah, you're always at the top of mind, but I have to say, like, 
Luke is like a very large part of that. Like he's he's my go-to baby that I show people. I'm like, oh, I look at this that. baby, and they're like, okay, just he's, I just think he's so cute. It's it's so polarized on Instagram because I've gotten a lot of messages from people being like, I don't care about your kid. Don't show me this. And then you get people, you know, my poet, my social. My personal posts on Instagram get the most likes, the most comments, but the highest, like, loss of followers. Interesting. So and are you able to just kind of be like, whatever? I don't care. Yeah. yeah. It, you, all, yeah. it all evens out in the end. And to be honest, I'd rather have people like you who, are who like, love me yeah. and, like, like what I'm doing yeah. rather than, like, you're a hate follower of mine. Totally. You know? Totally. I don't need you following me, so. Yeah, completely. Um, okay, so I have a few questions that I ask everybody. Okay. Um, Let's start easy. Uh, what is something that you've purchased that has most helped to make you healthier or happier? Something that I've purchased most happier or healthier. I'm so bad at rapid fire questions. Um, I'm like looking around my desk because it would probably be at my desk. I would say these Athleta leggings that I'm wearing right now, they are high, they cute. They're high-waisted and very flattering. And no matter how bloated I'm feeling or anything. I just always feel good in them. And if I wear them around the house, I feel great. Um, and then um, I just, I mean, I just rebought it. I buy it all the time, but Glossier's Boy Brow, I can wear that and that's it and go out and feel fabulous. And you feel confident. Yeah, yes. I used to like not think brows mattered. Uh, like, And now it's, I use the Honest Brow Pencil, but it's my Desert Island product 100%. Okay, yeah. Like I... I used, yeah, I used to be like a mask, and now I don't do mascara because it kind of irritates my eyes. So, yeah. like, if I can, do, I have like a tinted sunscreen, a little bit of blush, and then my honest stuff, and I like feel, yeah, a brow makes you put, it makes you feel so put together. It's insane. Well, think about it. if you don't have eyebrows, you would look it's very, it's very strange. But even if they're like kind of just <laughs> askew and wonky, I don't know. I think it was the first time a makeup artist did my makeup, and she did my uh. brows, and I'd never done them before, and I was like. Yeah. I can, like, it's the best way to look like a movie star, I feel like. You're just like it is. Wow, who I, am I? I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Um, what's a big mistake you made in your life and what's something you really got right? Um, a big mistake I like uh, that I made. Big mistake. You know, I like to think I have no regrets in my life and I don't make big mistakes, but I would say my last relationship before Lou, I wish I had stayed in as long. I didn't get any, gain anything from that relationship. Um, I mean, of course, I learned from it, but I, I dragged it out for too long, and it was a, a toxic relationship. I wasn't even in the relationship for the right reasons. Were you scared to leave? Um, I just think, like, anytime you're in a relationship, you still like the person, and you're hanging on to, like, the little threads that you like about them, but the blanket is already totally... I also think the inertia. Like, I think there's so many things in our life that are just, like... The inertia of it keeps like we stay in this job, we stay in this relationship because it's so much harder to deviate from the flow of a river than it is to just like keep floating along on it. Yes, exactly. So that was a big mistake because I – and I the reason I, I say it's the big mistake is because not only because it wasn't good for me, but I lost a lot of friends because I was in a relationship where I spent all my time with him and it was in a very pivotal time in my like social life. Like you're just out of college and you're still trying to like – preserve your relationships from college and I just kind of fell up the map and my friends also did too which maybe is a testament that they weren't that great of friends do any um, of your friends treat you different now that you're like kind of a public figure no all my my the, honestly the friends I hang out with the most are my three best friends from grade school 
and we're still best friends. And they have like years of Allie not as a public figure to like fall back on before Allie became a public figure too. Yeah. Oh, of course. Definitely. And yeah. they came to me. My worst quality about myself is that I'm flaky, which you've also probably <laughs> realized by now. And two years ago, they gave me an intervention. This is maybe a year and a half ago. They gave me an intervention. Oh, did they do a good one with like a sign <laughs> on the wall and like balloons and snacks? No, they just literally sat me down and they were like, you are a shitty friend and you're really flaky. Because you're a shitty friend because you're flaky, mm-hmm. um, and it was eye opening because I had no idea, and it was it was mainly because of this relationship as well. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently that was like, it was about how much effort we put into all of these other parts in our lives, but we just expect our friends to like chug along and be there. And if we put even a small fraction of the effort into our friendships that we did into even our like relationship or our business or any of that stuff, like our friendships would be so good, but we just like expect them to always be fine and in the background and Mm -hmm. giving us all these things when we don't put the same thing back into them, which I think is interesting. It's very interesting. And every time a friend of mine does something sweet and thoughtful, I'm like, I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I feel so much and I'm so happy and it makes me almost feel shitty because I'm like, I should be doing this for my friends. Like even sending me flowers, like a friend of mine, sent me flowers just to be like, thanks for your advice the other day. That's, I mean, I have one friend who always does uh, birthday cards and it's just like, it's such an easy thing, but it 100% makes me feel amazing. I literally have my desk right here has envelopes, stamps at all times, even return address labels. And I don't think to just like handwrite a note. So, but um, one thing that I did write. um, A lot of things, but. Oh gosh, so many things. No. Um, I would say choosing the way that I'm, feeding my son is the right decision. It feels very right to me. And I love um, I love what I'm doing, baby-led weaning. So there's like traditional weaning and baby-led weaning for people who are listening and don't know. Traditional weaning is pureed foods that you spoon feed a baby. And usually you start with like, you know, pureed sweet potato, peas, yeah. whatever, and you, you feed them. And then eventually- That's you, like what we think of as baby food. Yeah, exactly. You can buy it in a pouch, that kind of thing. Um, and then eventually you feed them solid foods. Um, so what we what baby led weaning is is the idea that you skip the purees completely and you just their first from the first time they have food it's like real whole food. So his first foods um, were like he had obviously avocado. I think that was his first food: avocado, banana, like a piece of toast. Is there a reason not to do that? Is it like a choking issue? So. I mean, I could film a one-hour podcast episode <laughs> about this, and I don't know if people care enough, but... Yeah, briefly. So, as briefly, and you can feel free to edit this later. Um, basically, this, the, the idea is that we think that babies need to have pureed food because we... It, it goes back to, again, this consumerist lifestyle. The U.S. basically started making baby food, like Gerber, right? They said, you need to feed your baby. You need to buy this baby food and feed it to your baby. And this is, you know, you need to start feeding your baby at four months. And at four months, a baby can really only handle pureed food. Um, but basically, this they wanted you to buy this baby food, right? It's commercialization. They wanted to make a profit. And really what people learned, and now this is the recommendation, is you shouldn't even feed a baby purees or real food until six months because their digestive system, their gut hasn't even fully developed to handle that food. Um, so... Now we're realizing six months is best. And at six months, they should be having, they can handle real food. So what happens is it's not a choking hazard at all. You can choke on purees. You can take too much puree down and choke, you know? 
it's all about reducing choking hazards when you're giving real food. So you're not going to give them a grape tomato and say, here, right. have at it. You're going to slice that grape tomato and peel the skin off. Right. So you're, you're always changing the food so it's not a choking hazard. And the way you feed them and you approach it, it's very um, safe. So people think, oh, you're going to choke because you're eating real food. But like what's incredible is I've only given him um, real food since he's been born. And now he like chews. Like in the beginning, what happens and scary is they gag. It's not choking. It's gagging. Because a baby's um, gag reflex is in the center of their tongue, not in the back like ours is, like in the back of our throat. So if there's a little food on the center of their tongue, they they go – and they it looks like they're choking, but they're just gagging and the food comes right out. So after a few times, they learn. So now Luca, like I can give him – we give him what we eat. Like I went and had a veggie burger with sweet potato fries the other day at a restaurant. I like just cut up the burger. Like he's sitting there and eating it. He's only eight months old. And you see him take a bite, chew – and if it's too much, he spits it out and then he picks up. So there's reasons why you do it, right? So the reason I picked it is because research has been done now through all these years of purees and baby food and commercialization of the whole process is that people have more eating issues and disorders now because they don't know how to eat food until they're full and they don't know how to pick the foods that they mm. like and eat them because they like them and it it fuels them and nourishes them. So what ends up, what it ends up happening if you're uh, – spoon feeding, you're always giving them a little bit more, right? Like, okay, a little bit more, finish this jar. And the baby's like full. They don't want it anymore, but you want the baby to eat because you you So you're literally like teaching them not to listen to their hunger cues. Exactly. So now we have all this years and all these all this research and now you can see people like don't know how to eat until they're I mean, I don't know how to eat until I'm full a lot, you know, like I eat until I'm have like a tummy ache. So what they've realized is like eating disorders and all these things can be avoided by this method of of feeding their baby, which is what, like, the French do and what, like, people in England have been doing for years. That's so interesting. And well, the French people do it. I mean, I feel like exactly. that's, like... <laughs> Not to compare to other countries or whatever, yeah. but there's other reasons, like, taste buds, right? I don't want a kid who eats chicken fingers and fries. I, he'll never order off the kid's menu. Right. So they which develop... Which is such a strange concept, like, too, you know? Like, oh, it yeah. kills me. I mean, he's having... For lunch, I'm going to feed him later. He's having um, butternut squash, chickpea, sesame balls curry roasted kabocha squash and um blackberries yeah so like he's having yeah, he's having like all these flavors and it's exciting for him to eat like and colorful and good for him yes it's like a healthier way to eat exactly and when you go to restaurants like socially he sits there and he eats with us so like you don't have to feed this kid this puree and then sit there and expect him to sit there while you eat this delicious looking food and be quiet right, right. so lou and i sit down at a restaurant put him in his chair and when the food when the food comes, we put him in his chair, and he sits there and eats with us, so we can enjoy our meal. Mm. That was a real big reason why I did it too. All these different things, but that's the best decision I could have made for like my marriage, life as a new mom, and hopefully my son. Yeah. Okay. Last one. <laughs> have you ever been somewhere in the world where you're like these people really got it right in terms of living like a good life? And if so, where where was it? Hmm. I mean, Californians really live a beautiful life, <laughs> and that's just in the U.S. Um, you know, I want to say something very cool because I have seen, a, I've been to a lot of countries. I want to say like Greece or all these, Italy and all these places. But honestly, I think the South, I think people, I went to school in North Carolina and people are just relaxed and they enjoy simple things in life, like a tea on their porch. Mm. Whereas if I'm going to, someone who lives in New York, for instance, 
you're not sitting on your porch drinking a tea. You're like, you're doing a lot of, you're you're probably reading, which is another thing. You're not just sitting and enjoying something, right? You're probably consuming a book. You're on your phone. You're doing like just different things. Your mind's racing. But these people in the South, I think they live it right. I don't know how they do it, but they're just raised to live a a slower way of life in a good way. Mm. And it's frustrating because you go to Starbucks and it takes you 20 minutes to get a coffee, but they just... They're, I find them less stressed out people. I find them happier people. You always say, people always say when they go down south, everyone's smiley and happy. There's things that they do wrong. There's things that we do wrong, obviously. But on a whole, I'm always, every time I go, I visit back to college in North Carolina. Um, I just, I'm always impressed by how happy I feel when I'm there. Just, I feel more zen there. I feel more relaxed. People just smile at you. Yeah. I, I really love it. I love that too. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Ali. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I loved it. It's one of those ones that I love listening back to. I just find Allie so inspiring and so amazing as a human. As always, if you enjoyed it, please, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the podcast. And if you feel like there's somebody in your life who could benefit from Allie's wisdom, which is deep and great and amazing. Please share the podcast with them so that they can kind of take away whatever lessons that you took away and talk about it with them. Like maybe go out for a friend coffee date and be like, oh my God, did you hear about Allie's mom's kidnapping? Because it's insane. I love when stuff like this actually helps us get closer to the people in our lives in real life. So I hope you can do that and um, get healthier together with the people that you love. Thanks guys. Bye. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balance meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out.